Amen. Thank you, Brother Jody. Appreciate that. And uh, very uh, grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ and Him coming to die on the cross for our sins. I'll tell you what, I don't think we'll ever realize in all of eternity what He valued in us, you know, but He did. Uh, he created us. And then after we messed everything up, He sent His own Son to die on the cross to redeem us. And uh, boy, He is a, a terrific, wonderful, awesome, brilliant, any word you could add on to that, uh, God. And uh, so very, very thankful for Him. All right, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 this morning. Ecclesiastes in chapter 1. It's praying about uh, where we might go and, and really kind of... Uh, struggling a little bit, uh, even in that thought, um, we've been dealing with faith. And I, I, I'll just be honest, on Sunday morning, I love carrying kind of a theme through the whole year. And of course, we're drawing towards the end of a year uh, here, uh, about to start into November next week. And of course, with that comes, you know, a lot of holidays. You know, people are gone. And also, you've got, you know, I'm not a big like, oh, it's, it's Mother's Day, so we need to preach a Mother's Day message, but it's just kind of expected, so I found myself doing it a lot of times, uh, but that happens like around Christmas, you know, it's Christmas, so you preach Christmas messages, you preach Thanksgiving messages and things, so just a lot of breaks, but the more I thought and, and prayed and considered, I didn't just want to do a bunch of one-off sermons uh, for weeks and weeks and really felt like it was a good time to go ahead and jump into a, a new series and have been praying about this one for a while. I believe it'll be helpful uh, and so beneficial for our church, and so we're gonna actually going to do this. It's it's going to be a, a lengthier series. It's about thirty six sermons, I think, uh, is what I've kind of broke it down. Is what it's going to wind up being around that. So we'll we'll get a good clip into next year with this, and so I'm excited about starting into it. So I've entitled the uh, the series to the world and back again, to the world and back again. You might give a little bit of a subtitle to that as life under the sun. And then kind of rephrase it, which I hope it'll make sense in the sermon this morning. We want to move from life under the sun, S-U-N, to life under the sun, S-O-N. Okay, so that's a big part of this as well, uh, is a big part of what Ecclesiastes is all about. And so looking forward to going through these 11 chapters together. May God bless them and help them as we do this. And so let's get started in this this morning. So if you found your place in Ecclesiastes 1, let's stand together, if you're able to, to honor the reading of God's Word and uh, get that blood moving a little bit there as well. And uh, I guess the good thing about it being... Uh, the heater not being broken and it being like boiling hot in here. It's easier to stay awake when it's cooler at least. Except for some of y'all just real wrapped up in lots of blankets and all cozy. And Anyways, we'll try our best here this morning. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse number 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, just in case you didn't get it, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh, and here's that phrase that we'll see a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes, under the sun. One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. It's like, what's, what's the point? The sun comes up, and then it goes down, and then it comes up, and it goes down, and just keeps... I'm doing this backwards. It comes up, and it goes down, just keeps going. 
What's the whole point? It just keeps going the way it is. Verse number six. The wind goeth toward the south and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. The wind just keeps going wherever it wants to go. Verse number seven. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing, and here's our phrase again, under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. I almost want to quote that verse every time they're like, the new iPhone. It looks exactly the same as the last one, right? Is there anything new? Verse number 11 says, There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. I'd like to preach to you this morning. Here's the name of the sermon. Hopefully it's not a total downer, but it's kind of where Solomon goes with this. The book of Ecclesiastes is a little bit of a downer book. It's a happy ending, but downer through the rest of it. Here's the title of the sermon, Vanity of Vanities. Vanity of Vanities. So may God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the scriptures uh, here this morning. <clears throat> of all the things that happen in life, I think mistakes are my least favorite. There's nothing more unenjoyable than realizing you've made a mistake. The bigger the mistake, the more unpleasant it is. Uh, it's just awful. Uh, boy, I hate that when you make a big financial mistake. You've experienced that before? Uh, if not, you're in rare exception, right? A lot of us have made financial mistakes. Yeah. Buy something only to realize you got taken by somebody or, uh, you know, you paid too much for something or it was broken or whatever the case might be. You ever do something in a relationship and you go, well, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. I feel like I do that daily at my house. Well, I shouldn't have said that to my wife. It's a loaded question, husbands. If your wife asks you this morning, how does this dress look? It's a lose-lose situation at that moment. You might as well sit there and nod and try to be as positive looking on your face as you possibly can be, amen. But all kidding aside, in relationships, we can sometimes make mistakes and do things we ought not do. And sometimes they're minor, other times they can be rather major. Now, one thing about mistakes is, though, if you're a halfway intelligent human being, the hope is, is that if you make a mistake, you learn from that mistake so that you don't make the mistake again, right? That's actually one of the reasons why parents in the Bible, it actually tells us to use the reproof and use the rod, right? Reproof is where you actually talk to your child and help them understand. Maybe there's just a lack of knowledge and just helping them understand this was kind of a bad thing to do. And I'm helping you understand by correcting you with my words that next time there will be consequences because this is wrong. 
So then they do it again and they do wrong and you go, well, it's not a lack of knowing because I know they knew. So now we need to move to the next phase, which is a spanking, which is the rod. Well, why is that? Because there's a mistake that's been made. Now there's consequences for that mistake. Why? So they can learn not to make the mistake again. Yeah, be careful, parent, though. Don't you, sometimes you can get correct behavior and totally lose the heart behind it. Don't correct just so it makes your life easier. Correct so you help them be who God wants them to be. Mold and make them shepherd their heart to who God wants them to be. But obviously we have mistakes. And if we have mistakes in life and there's consequences for those mistakes, hopefully the hope would be this. You can learn from those mistakes. But maybe a wise thing to do is to take on a lifestyle that follows Eleanor Roosevelt's quote, which is this. Learn from the mistakes of others. You cannot live long enough to make them all yourself. That's a good quote. Amen. Here's the thing. You can make a lot of mistakes in your life and you can learn from those mistakes, but how much better would it be as you are younger to learn from the mistakes of others so you don't have to make them? Yeah. That would be a great thing absolutely to do. Sound advice for sure. When I was at uh, a teenager at uh, Cottondale, First Baptist Cottondale, just down the road where my dad's pastoring, there was a, an elderly couple that visited the church and then uh, eventually joined and just became integral parts of the church. Uh, his name was Bert and her name was Dee. Their last name was Prey, Bert and Dee Prey. And uh, I just connected with them really well. Just a sweet, uh, older couple had been married, I think, at the time, uh, 50, between 50 and 60 years, just up, up in their 80s, just a sweet old couple. And uh, they joined the choir and just wonderful people. Well, in getting to visit with them and getting to know them, I was probably about 16 or 17 years old. I had already made plans to go to Bible college. You know, my life was already in that trajectory. Had opportunity to preach every once in a while in the church. And so getting to visit with him, Bert Prey would often talk about his past. And he never got real specific about things, but he got saved at his mother-in-law's funeral when he was in his 50s. So much later in life. And then it was sometime even after that, before he really got serious about serving the Lord, it wasn't really until he retired that he actually was like, I'm going to be faithful in church and I'm going to be, I'm going to be uh, involved in ministry, you know, teaching a class or however I can help out and, and just kind of be an all in. And almost with tears in his eyes when I talked to him, I mean, he's just a very tender hearted man, very emotional. And he would just look at me and he would just say, David, I, I wish, I wish I had gotten saved and had the opportunities you have as a young man. And I remember just the earnestness in his voice and in his eyes of just thinking about all the years that he had lived a life of just uh, hatred towards God and, and, and just an enemy of the cross and at variance with the, the gospel. And here's this man who now had such a tender heart and such a life who just wanted to please the Lord and live for God. And I remember looking at that and thinking this, here's a man who wishes he could go back and live his whole life for the glory of God. And here was the big kicker for me. Here I am, 17 year old, and I'm thinking this, I have that opportunity. I better not blow it. Amen. And 
I remember thinking that, and as I would talk to him, he would mention things about his pastor saying, I wish I hadn't done this. And I wish I had better, done better in this area. Well, he mentioned some specific things. And for me as a young man, there would start to be some of those flags that would shoot up of saying this. Here's a man who is looking back on his life with the majority of it being regret and saying this. Here's some things that I've learned that were mistakes in my life. Young man, don't make them. Now, here's the blessing of the book of Ecclesiastes. You have the wisest man who's ever lived apart from the Lord Jesus Christ who went out into the world and made all the mistakes that I see so many other believers making and he came back to this conclusion, obviously the conclusion of the book, which is this, fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. But it took him a whole book to get to that conclusion and I'm thankful through these 11 chapters he presents this reality. You don't have to make the same mistakes he made. Well, I could just go find it in a relationship. Well, Solomon had hundreds of wives. And he had all the money. He was literally at the time was the apex of Israel's existence. It was the wealthiest, most powerful nation when Solomon was in charge. He had every woman he ever wanted. He had every job he ever wanted. He had anything money could buy. He had it all. And yet he came to this conclusion. None of that will satisfy so here's the problem I see is there's a lot of believers who are running down those same paths thinking this will satisfy, this will bring contentment, this will bring fulfillment. Can we learn the lesson from Solomon? The lesson from Solomon that says this, I tried it and I came to this conclusion, it's not worth it. P picture Solomon here, he's an old man at the time that Ecclesiastes is written. He's lived his life. This is his final farewell book, if you will. And he sits down and pens these words, almost like an aged saint named Bert Prey. And he's looking at us, and he's saying this, You've got life to live, and there's some things you probably need to learn from my mistakes so you don't make the same ones, and learn from the things I did right so you can do those. So let us take this series and take these lessons from a man named Solomon and learn what life under the S-U-N sun is like, and learn that it's not what we want, and learn that life under the S-O-N, Son, is what we do want. So that's really where Solomon takes us. So let's dive into the book. Today it's more of an introduction more than anything else. Now, you say, how do you know that Solomon is the author of the book? Well, verse 1 tells us that. So he actually gives himself the title preacher, which I'll explain that here in just a moment. But he, after that, he says, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Well, there was only one son of David that was actually the king in Jerusalem, and that was Solomon. Okay, we, we know there's no debate about this. Solomon wrote this book. And so, <clears throat> obviously, we understand uh, Solomon, wisest man who ever lived apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to learn that story, 1 Kings chapter 3, the Lord shows up and says, Solomon, what do you want? And Solomon goes, I, I want wisdom to lead your people correctly. God says, because you didn't ask for power, you didn't ask for might, you didn't ask for money, I'm going to give you those things along with wisdom to help you lead my people correctly. God blessed him richly. Absolutely he did. So we understand Solomon is the king of David. He's the third ruler of the unified uh, kingdom. So you have Saul, and then you have David, and now you have David's son Solomon. 
Unfortunately, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, kind of messed things up. And him, Rehoboam and Jeroboam had like civil war and the kingdom split, northern and southern. So he's the last king of the unified kingdom. And it's the time where, as I've already mentioned, Israel was at peace. They had all kinds of money, all kinds of power, all kinds of prosperity, all kinds of fame. It is the largest expanded border of Israel's history. It's just a very prosperous time. So why does Solomon call himself the preacher? Well, the, the term preacher literally means a herald. Somebody who declares a message, right? They're, they're heralding a message, yelling out something. So he's calling himself a preacher because he's got a message to declare. Okay, that's why he gives himself that title as he says, there is a message that needs to be heard and I'm the one who needs to deliver it. So he's calling himself the herald, the declarer, the preacher. So this time, of course, as I've already mentioned, is toward the end of Solomon's life. He is old and he has lived his life. And now these are his experience writings that he is writing out here. Now, Solomon tells us the whole purpose of his writing is this. In verse number two, everything else is vanity except for the Lord. Don't live a life of vanity. Live a life of value. And there's a huge difference between the two. So th these are key concepts in the book. So we're going to really, really dig into this. Okay. So vanity, again, is just a key concept through the book. You, you have to get this. Because every single week he's going to build on this idea. So a lot of people, when we think of vanity, there might be a lady who's thinking, oh, the thing I sit in front of in the morning and get ready. And, right? uh, people sometimes have maybe a wrong thinking about vanity. So vanity, oftentimes people think somebody who's thinking really highly of themselves and they're vain. Okay, the word here, vanity, it goes a little bit more to the root now, that, that maybe is a symptom of vanity, but the word here that Solomon's using literally means this, empty. For something to be vain literally means this, it holds no substance. Now, here's the dangerous part, though. It looks like it does. Something that looks like it has substance, but it has none. So picture this. I should have brought one in here this morning. It would have been a lot of fun. A bubble machine. I'm not talking about the little rinky-dink little, the kid blows it and it makes a few little bubbles. I'm talking about, you know the little motorized ones? You fill up this whole room in like five minutes. That'd be awesome. We should have done that this morning. Just fill up the whole room with bubbles. All the kids would run in from junior church. They'd just like have a sixth sense. There's bubbles somewhere. I know my girls would, you know. But bubbles. Now, I, I always enjoyed when our kids were little bitty. And you would, they would see bubbles. Somebody blow a bubble. And they would go out there and they would like collect the bubbles. Into like a bucket or into their hand or whatever. And they go, a bubble. And then what do they have left? Slimy hands, right? That's it, right? They can collect all these bubbles, but in the end, none of the bubbles are left. Uh, picture like maybe just a, a balloon you know, it's filled up. It looks like there's so much stuff in there, but really you pop it and there's nothing. It's just empty. Now, that is what Solomon is talking about when he says vanity. Something that appears to have weight and value, 
But in the reality of it, when you come to the end, you go this, oh, wow, I have a bucket of slime. Oh, wow, I have a pop balloon. There was nothing in that. There's no value there. Now, here's the depressing thing. A lot of people are running through life thinking they have a lot of value in things that they are in hot pursuit of. Only to realize when they're on their deathbed, or even some, not even then, but one day when they stand before the Lord to realize this, they work their entire life for a bucket of slime. Their whole life has been in pursuit of something that has absolutely no eternal value. I mean, none whatsoever. I, I, I've had opportunity to be at the, the deathbed side of some folks, and I've never once, in my time as a pastor, over a decade now, sat down on the side of a, a bed of a person that's dying and had them grab a hold of my hand and say, I wish I had one more day so I could work and earn another dollar. I've never had somebody do that before. I've never had somebody reach out and, and, and begrudge the idea that they love the Lord or that they were faithful to their wife or that they led someone to Christ. I've never had somebody be resentful that that happened. I've always had them look back and say, I'm thankful I did these things. I wish I had done more of them. Well, you get a lot of honesty and a lot of reflectiveness out of those who come toward the end of their life. And I'm telling you, Solomon here at the end of his life is being really reflective of this. A lot of people are in hot pursuit of some things that are absolute vanity. There's no value to them whatsoever. So he goes in there in verse number two and he says this. Here we go. Vanity of vanities. What does that mean? Well, if you say something twice, it means there's some significance to it. Like in the temple, you had the holy place, and then you had the what? The holy of holies, right? Jesus is not just the king. He's the king of kings. He's not just the Lord. He's the Lord of lords. Well, what does this mean? It's a superlative. It's saying this isn't just vanity. It's vanity of vanities. It is the most empty thing of all the empty things that exist. The highest in the order of it. And then he goes beyond that. He not only says vanity of vanities, he says it again. Vanity of vanities. And then he concludes verse 2 by saying this, all is vanity. That just blesses your heart right there. He's basically saying this, everything on this earth, everything that is temporal on this earth, everything that is um, uh, tangible and physical that is upon this earth, he's simply saying this, it's all empty. It's all vain. There's really no great value to it whatsoever. It just is there. There's no great value to it. So in verse number three, he uses this phrase, under the sun. Now, again, I feel like these are important terms of the book that take some time. It's important for us to define them. So what do you mean by life under the sun? What does that mean? Well, Solomon grew up in a, a, a good Christian home. His dad was David. Now, dysfunctional, yes. David made some bad choices towards the end of his life, and there was some dysfunction there. But Solomon knew the Lord and he had made right decisions early on in Solomon's life. But there came a point in Solomon's life where he said this, I'm tired of living life for the Lord. I'm going to go live life like the world lives life. And see if there can be any contentment or any happiness found in those things. So 
Life under the sun, S-U-N, simply means this, life the way the world system lives it. So if somebody, it's Solomon when he says he's going to go live life under the sun, he's simply saying this, I'm going to go try life apart from God. Life under the sun is life lived on earth without Jesus. Life under the sun is life lived here on this earth like as if God doesn't exist or he's not around. Life under the sun is knowing maybe there is a God, but ignoring that reality in the daily practices and what we do. And so Solomon here is saying this, you want to know where all the vanity exists? Where all the emptiness, where all the hollowness, where there's really no value? It happens when there is a life lived under the sun, S-U-N. A life that is lived on this earth, for this earth, is emptiness. Uh, you need to catch that. Life lived on this earth, for this earth, is emptiness. There's no value to it. Unfortunately, there's a whole world that is living with that existence. Absolutely. You know the old saying, nobody gets buried with a U-Haul. Well, even if they did, the U-Haul would be in the ground. I mean, King Tut, you know, and all these pharaohs who got buried with all that stuff, some tomb raider years later got wealthy one day, didn't he? Digging it all up because he didn't take it with him. Here's the thing. It, none of this stuff leaves the earth. It can be assured you came in with nothing and you'll leave with nothing. Now, again, not trying to be a downer about all this stuff. I'm not like, all right, we all need to quit our jobs and we all need to just act like there's no value to anything here. Don't miss the heart of what this message is going to be. But it is simply this. If your pursuit is God's just a little thing I tack onto my life and he really isn't the main thing, and your whole life is in pursuit of what this world has to offer, you're just running around like a little four-year-old girl collecting bubbles. I'm just trying to make light of it, but the reality is, is there's going to be a sad awakening at some point. And, and here's the thing. It might even be this morning during this message that God begins to convict your heart and show you this. Your whole life is summed up in one word. Living in this world, for this world, there's no value. Nothing. There's nothing that really has any weight or eternal value. Now, Solomon wanted them to consider... And wants us to consider that everyday labor at the heart of it really is emptiness. That there really is no profit in just this day in, day out grind of life. If that's all it is, is life under the sun. So he gives a few illustrations. In verse number four, he talks about generations. There's one generation, and then they pass off the scene, and then the next generation comes, and they pass off the scene, and the next generation comes. And here's what he says is vanity. This guy works really hard to get this wealth, and then it goes to this person, and then he works really hard and loses it or gains more, and then it goes to this person, and it's just the same stuff. It just gets shuffled around. It's just vanity. Really no value. Just there it is. To a very broad perspective to it. The next illustration, of course, kind of looks at this also. In verse number 5, he talks about the sun, as we've already mentioned there. Very seasonal. Obviously, how it happens. We can set our watch to it. The sun rises and sets, and then it rises and it sets. For what purpose? Why is it set? Well, just so it can rise again. Solomon's whole idea is this. It just, it just keeps going. There's no end to this thing. It just, it's just there, and it's there, and it's there, and it's there. There's no end to it. 
He talks about the wind in verse number 6. Well, it's coming from the north, now it's coming from the south, now it's coming from the east, now it's coming from the west. It's just kind of, and it goes there, and then it goes there, and then it goes there, and then it goes there, and it's just always whirlwinding around, and there's really, it's never really accomplishing anything. It's just going from here to there to there. It's just moving around. In verse number 7, he talks about the rivers. This one's interesting to me. He says, the rivers keep flowing, but where they're flowing to never get full. Obviously, we understand how that works. The rivers flow, and then evaporation, and then they come back and rain, and it's just this constant recycling of the water that happens there. And he says this, it's just never ending, it's constant. No doubt near where Solomon lived there in Jerusalem is the Dead Sea, you know, and he might have that in mind. It only has water that flows into it, nothing that flows out. So it's mineral heavy and very salt heavy, and it's dead. And he's saying this, Yet that thing never gets full, and it doesn't even have an outlet. It just keeps coming in and in. What's the whole point of this? In verse number 8, he talks about human understanding. We can spend our whole life listening and watching and still not hear and see everything. It's just not possible. Verses 9 and 10, very popular verses that there's nothing new under the sun. right? In this world system, there's nothing You go, hold on now, preacher, there's new stuff all the time. No, there's new ways of doing things, but I'm telling you, you can go back as far as you want to, and the existence of mankind is the same then as it is now. Amen. It's exactly the same. We work, we eat, we sleep, we live, we have families, we die. I mean, it's just kind of the existence of mankind. Now, I understand at different time periods of human history, at one point there was no electricity, and now we've got all these cool technology things and you might consider that new, but what new does it do, does it do? It might do something that used to be done differently now, but it's still the same stuff. It's just done differently. There's nothing really new that's being accomplished. It's just the same old things repackaged and rewashed as the existence of mankind. I'm just going to push pause here for a second also. Just because it makes our life easier doesn't mean our lives are better. And I think in many ways, a lot of the advancements that have been made have not been advancing us as humans. Amen. In many ways, we're worse off now than we would have been 100 or 200 years ago. Yeah. Boy, you read about some of these old speeches and debates and things that happened then. And now someone gets on the TV and drinks water funny and that's all anyone can talk about, you know. Are we really better for it, you know? And so I, I wonder here, Solomon's saying, listen, there's nothing new. It's just the same old things repackaged, but it just is what it is. So ultimately, he says this, it's all vain. And in the end, nothing will be remembered. The great hits and the popular people of one era will not even be hardly remembered in the next. Today, somebody's will be tomorrow's nobody's. If everything under the sun, again, don't miss what I'm saying here. Everything under the sun in this world system is vain. Then we need to dedicate our life to something greater than life under the S-U-N sun. Okay. So if life under this world system and what the world says we need to pursue there's nothing new. It's the same old, same old. What happens, happens, and it just keeps going. And there's no new things, and it just is. And life's just, blah. We can feel that way sometimes, can't we? I work to eat, to live, to live, to work. 
And it just feels like this constant cycle. And sometimes maybe you have like this crisis in your life at moments where you're laying in bed and you go, what is the point of all of this? What value is there to all of this? Now, listen, that's what Solomon is addressing here in this very passage where he's saying this. There is very little value to life in this earth lived for this earth. There's, there's no value to it. It's all vanity and emptiness. So he's simply saying this. If life in this track under the S-U-N has no value, then we need to start living life in an avenue, in a track, in a way that has great value. Life full of substance, life full of eternal value, life that has meaning. And so it's leaving a life lived under the S-U-N to live life under the S-O-N. Leaving life under the sun to live life under the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'll tell you this, a life that is lived with purpose and intent for eternal value, you can pillow your head at night and say this, there's value to what's being done here. There's weight to this. It's not bubbles being pushed into a bag, but there's eternal weights of glory is what Paul called it. There are things that are worth something here. And that's exactly what Solomon is going to come to the conclusion. Now, we, we can jump ahead a little bit. In the book, he's going to talk about the vanity of relationships, the vanity of, of hard work, the vanity. And it's not that any of those things are bad. It's if they are done exclusively under this world system and they're done just for this world, they have no value. But the New Testament would say this, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not as unto men. I'll tell you what, you, you can work hard and you can have relationships and you can have money that you earn and you can do it all with intent and purpose to honor and, and please the Lord. And there's value and there's weight to that. So Solomon's saying, don't live life for the purpose of this selfish world system. Instead, live it with eternal value for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's weight there. So again, we're going to jump a little bit to the conclusion here of the whole matter was this. You, again, you read the last chapter. We'll let the cat out of the bag here. Where Solomon comes in and he says, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep His commandments. Amen. This is the whole duty of man. So here it is this morning. Maybe, maybe this has been a little bit of a revelation to you, kind of laid like a ton of bricks. That your life has been in pursuit of all the wrong things. Well, here's the cry this morning to say this. Change the drive of your life from life under the sun to life lived for Jesus Christ. Allow Him to be the pursuit of your life. I'll tell you this. It doesn't matter if you're 8 or you're 80. You're drawn in breath. And I'm thankful when Bert Prey passed away and went home to be with the Lord, he had lived a good number of years of faithfulness to the Lord and had won many people to Christ and had a great testimony. And although he had regret of this portion of his life, I'm telling you from this portion on, he lived a life not under the sun but for Jesus and there was eternal value and weight that's there. You say, well, when's the time to start? Today. Amen. Now. Don't say tomorrow. Procrastination is the death of hopes and dreams that need to be lived for Jesus Christ. God wants you to make action today on this. 
Listen, if God hit you with this message this morning and saying, listen, you've been living life for money. You've been living life for pleasure. You've been living life for, for family and relationships. And although any of those things might not necessarily be wrong, allow your perception to change and say this. I want my life to count for Jesus. I want my life to be in full pursuit of him. I want him to have the number one spot in my heart and in my life that everything else falls into place. You say this, I want to live a life not of vanity, but a life of value. And there's a huge difference between the two. Let's all stand as we come to a time of invitation.